Well, if you have your Bible on your lap, or I'm sure Darren's going to put it up there on the board also. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18. And I had written down here that we were going to go through verse 34, but we're not going to. We're going to stop at verse 27. 18 to 27. And when Jesus saw great multitudes around him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. They are in the hometown in Capernaum, which is where Peter and his family live and James and John and their family live. When Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave a command to, to depart to the other side, that is, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And when his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this? It is Jesus, but what is Jesus like? He is God, but what's that going to look like? When God shows up, I love it, Caden, because you got it exactly right. When God shows up in a community, what is that going to look like? Number one, a guy walks in and says, essentially, he's putting out all the evidence there. Initially, he's putting out the evidence, and you're supposed to draw the conclusion. And as you go through any one of the four Gospels, the evidence is laid out. The evidence is laid out. And he's allowing the audience to draw the conclusion based on the evidence. What does the evidence say about Jesus? Well, as we've gone through John's Gospel, what is the evidence? Is Matthew, excuse me, I keep saying John's Gospel. That's my habit. Okay, forgive me. Matthew's Gospel What's the evidence? Chapter 1, Jesus is the direct descendant of Abraham through David, to whom it was promised that it would be his descendant who would be the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would deliver the people. And then down all the way to the fellow who was his legal father, not his actual father, his legal father, however, Joseph. Joseph. 
So Jesus inherits the legal right to the throne through Joseph. But there's something else the Hebrew scriptures had promised. Not only would the Messiah be the direct descendant of Abraham through David and so on, he also would be God. Behold, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Jeremiah 23, Out of the root and branch of Jesse, there will arise this one. I got to tell you this. I got to tell you, I, I, I know I've said this, I've told some people this story. I was 17 years old. I've been in the, in, walking with Jesus for maybe six months. And I'm reading my dad. My dad was confirmed in the Lutheran Church in 1920. I've got his confirmation Bible that I'm using. It's an old 1901 American Standard Version which always throughout the Old Testament uses Jehovah. It doesn't translate it with Lord all in cap. No, it uses the term Jehovah. And so I'm one night on a, on a Friday night, I am reading, I'm 17 years old and I'm reading Jeremiah. I was there by divine appointment, but I didn't know it. And I'm reading Jeremiah 23. And I'm reading, oh, and he, this one will arise out of the root and branch of Jesse. Da, da, da. And this is his name by which he will be called Jehovah, our righteousness. And the thought occurred to me, well, I wonder what a Jehovah's Witness would do with that. Because I knew that Jehovah's Witnesses didn't believe that Jesus is Jehovah God. The next morning, can we say divine setup? The next morning, I'm out in the front yard. I'm just finishing mowing. And a Jehovah's Witness walks up to me. I mean, this guy, I'm 17. This guy's probably 45 or so. He's got a suit on, the whole, and he starts talking. Oh, are you Jehovah's Witness? Yes, I am. Wonderful. I was reading something in the Bible last night, and I would like you to explain it to me. Oh, I can do that. Great. So I go into my house. I get, I come to the front door. I'm standing at the threshold of the front door, and I start reading Jeremiah 23. I'm not telling him what it means. I'm just reading it. This one will arise out of the root and branch of Jesse. Oh, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Great. And this is his name by which he will be called Jehovah, our righteousness. I literally cannot exaggerate what happened. The guy exploded. And I mean he exploded. Who talks to that? Who talks to that? Who talks to that? I'm a 17-year-old kid. I've got a 45-year-old or so guy on my front porch going maniac. Lord, what do I do? What do I do? Finally, he stomped away. What had happened? God the Holy Spirit went here. Now, let me tell you something, folks. That man, I hope he came into the kingdom. I, I honestly, why would God do that unless God purposed to harvest him into his kingdom? But I do know this. He could never forget it because he said, who taught you that? I said, you told me what it meant. He is God. He is God. So you put the evidence together. That man got sucker punched by the Holy Spirit with some evidence. 
the evidence, Matthew chapter 1. Here is the genealogy of Jesus, and he is God. He is, his name will be called Emmanuel. You, will, you, Joseph, will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. And then we have chapter 2, the Magi. Jesus is a toddler living in Bethlehem. And the Magi come from the Mesopotamian Valley. We don't know how many, we see three, the three, we three kings. No, no, no. We know of three, the three principal gifts they brought. There probably was a, couple, a dozen or more of these guys. And they've taken a couple years to get their expedition together because by the time they show up in Jerusalem, they're saying, we saw his star in while we were in the east. And later on, Herod is going to have all the boys in the Bethlehem region who are two years old and below killed based on the number, the time that the Magi gave. So they're there probably two Years after they saw the star. Now, my own opinion is the star they saw was actually the Shekinah glory. Because when they left Jerusalem, and we have this tradition, oh, they left at night because they're following a star. The Shekinah glory, if that's what it, and they followed it. That's why I'm saying it's not a star that was in the heavens. Because they followed it, and it hovered over a specific house. In Bethlehem. And when they went in the house, they worshipped him. That's the word. They worshipped him and presented these three gifts. Well, if he's not God, that's blasphemy. But it's not. Because he's God. And they worshipped him. And then God warned them not to go back to Herod the great who had said oh come back to me so I can come and worship him too when you find him no they, uh, God warned them and so they sneaked out and then Herod and then God warned Joseph and he took Jesus to Egypt and then Herod when he realized he had been fooled he had all those boys killed and then a couple three years later or so when he died the word comes to Egypt and Joseph and Mary and the young child come back and because his maniac son is now ruling in Judea, they go back to Galilee, to Nazareth, where they had come from in the first place. And that's where Jesus grows up. By the way, the Hebrew scriptures said he would be called a branch. Nazar is the same uh, consonants as branch. And it says repeatedly in the Old Testament, he'll be called a branch. It says he will be born in Bethlehem. O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among all the villages of Judah, from out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler of my people. Whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting? He's actually God. And by the way, also out of Egypt I have called my son. And he's the virgin. Jesus fulfills four prophecies just in his early, his birth experience and early childhood. That's called evidence. And then John the Baptist's ministry begins, and he's pointing to Jesus. And John the Baptist echoes, he saw when he baptized Jesus, and Jesus came out of the water, 
He saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove upon Jesus. He heard the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There is not a thing wrong with him. I'm sorry, folks. I've never heard there's nothing wrong with him from heaven in reference to me, okay? And I will dare say neither of you. But God could say that authentically about his son. And if you read through the gospel accounts, you have Jesus saying things like, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And people didn't run away screaming because he actually fulfilled that. Everything that I do is because the Father is energizing it. And people are, yeah, we agree with that. He's raising the dead. He's what does he do here? He's already, in, in Matthew chapter, we had, we had the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up, he's before the Sermon on the Mount. All these people gather to him. And he is healed. They're coming from Syria. They're coming from everywhere, bringing sick people, demon-possessed. Let me just read. This is Matthew 4, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. That's Gentile territory, folks. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. They're coming from everywhere. Then verses, chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down off the mountain, chapter 8, Verse 1, and here's a leper. If you are willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus does the thing you're never supposed to do with a leper. Touched him. Be cleansed. And the man was, man was cleansed. Then he sent him to Jerusalem to be a testimony to the priest. Because if you were a leper who got cleansed, you were supposed to go and be examined by a priest so he could give you a piece of paper that said, yeah, he's cleansed, so that everybody could hang out with you now. But Jesus touched, Jesus didn't become defiled when he touched the man, which is why you never touch a leper. You don't want to get this leprosy. Jesus cleansed, touched him and cleansed him. And then... The cent he walks, he goes into Capernaum and the centurion comes to him. I have, my servant is sick at home. He is in torments. Would you heal him? Oh yes, I'll go to your home and do, no, you don't need to come to my home. I know how authority works. Just say a word. And Jesus is, if anything ever surprised Jesus, it was that man's faith. I have not found faith like this amongst any Jews. Not one. <laughs> and by the way, this is a prophetic hint because what's going to happen in the day when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and everyone else is yanked out of their tombs, 
they're going to come from the east and the west and sit down, Gentiles, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and feast in the kingdom. Meanwhile, those who have been really, really, really close who are sons of the kingdom will be cast out into hell. Let me tell you something, folks. There is a lake of fire to flee. When Jesus went to the cross, and we're going to be commemorating this with the Lord's table here. When Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, went to the cross, all of the experience of the lake of fire due to the entire human race for in eternity was all compressed both in experience and time and was poured out on God the Son on the cross. He was able to do that because of the nature of his person and the purity of his person. He is God, fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. The, the weight of his value was in the eyes of God, his father, was greater than the value of the entire human race. So he's able to pay the penalty for all of our sins because that is his value. And he qualified himself for it by being the spotless lamb of God. And so these two men, they come to him. He's healed that night. He's, he's healed the centurion's servant. Then he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then that night when the sun went down, because it's the Sabbath day, so that night when the sun went down, all, they brought him all these demon-possessed people and all these sick people, and he cleansed them all of their demons and of their illnesses, everything. <coughs> and then he has these two men, as we read, that come. I want to be your disciple. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, Jesus is perfectly willing for this fellow to be a disciple, but he wants him to do it with his eyes wide open. And so he says, hey, but be, yeah, that's wonderful. Be my follower, but be aware of this. Every, it's a day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day thing. I don't know each night where I'm going to lay my head. So be aware of the fact that we're doing the manna plan. It's a daily provision for my father. That's the plan I walk in. That's the plan I call you to. If that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to know about it ahead of time so you can make an informed decision. He's not trying to prevent him from being a disciple. He's not trying to discourage him, but he is trying to give him the information he needs. And then the second fellow says, well, hey, I want to follow you too, but let me go now, it sounds so horrible to us. My, I, I need to go home and bury my father. Well, no, let the dead bury. Oh, Jesus, that's really insensitive. That's really, when he says, I need to bury my father, his dad isn't dead. <laughs> He's not on a slab somewhere waiting. That's, no, it was an expression meant to, I need to fulfill my family obligations. That's what comes first. Being your disciple comes second. And Jesus says, no. Being my disciple comes first ahead of your family obligations. Let the dead bury their dead. And when we get to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going to be emphatic about that. 
In fact, the principal opposition typically to a disciple comes from within his own family. Take up your cross, he will say to the apostles and other disciples, and follow me. And so he wants them to make an informed decision. And then we have the episode that we read. They go ahead and get in a boat. And they, by the way, it's only about, you know, we see the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is seven or eight miles from the North Shore to the South Shore. That's the Sea of Galilee. We would call that a mm, lake. But there is the Sea of Galilee. But all of these, the four disciples whom he's already named, that he's already called, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, they're all fishermen. They make their living in boats on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has told them, what did he say? And when Jesus saw the great multitude about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, let's go get in a boat, go out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, and drown. That's not what he said, was it? Let's get in a boat and go to the other side. We're, gonna, we're on the North Shore. Capernaum's on the North Shore. We're going to go to the South Shore. And so they get in a boat, and they take off. These, are, these four of these guys are experienced sail, you know, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and they go out there, and Jesus is, so we don't know if it's nighttime, daytime, whatever. Jesus is asleep, and they are in this massive storm. And these experienced men experienced on the Sea of Galilee are scared to death. They are in jeopardy of dying, and Jesus is asleep. And so what do they do? They go and wake him up. His disciples came to him and, and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. What do they expect him to do? Now, we know what happened. And so, well, they expected him to come. No, they didn't. I don't know what they, I think they may have been say, saying, I think they may have simply been saying, would you wake up and man an oar like the rest of us? Why? Because what that does happen? Lord, save us, we are perishing. He said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid? What do you mean, why are we afraid? Did I, I'm looking back on the text, did I say get in the boat and go, let's go out and drown? Now, the thing is, thank you. The thing is, they're still getting to know who this is. They're still getting to know. They're still, the evidence is still accumulating for them. So even though we know what's going to happen, thank you, 2020 hindsight, they don't know what they've asked him to solve a problem. He's played some role in solving their problem. But they don't expect what he does because when he does it, they're shocked. 
Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now you think about it. I don't know how many of you are experienced. I'm not that experienced, but I know a little bit about storms at sea. Even if a storm stops, whether it's on a large lake or a sea or an ocean, things don't calm down. It will take, if it's a bad enough storm, it can take a day or two or three for the seas to become calm after the storm is completely gone. He stops the storm and calms the sea. They're hyperventilating. (laughs) Who is this? Good question. Exactly the right question. Who is this? Who can this be (coughs) that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, they had just seen what? They had seen people with every kind of disease, demon possession. They had seen a leper cleansed. They'd seen all this stuff. But here is a completely different kind of miracle. And they're bowled away. Is there anything Jesus can't do? Is there any problem too big for him to solve? No, there is not. And so what does he rebuke them for? Why? Uh, Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? There is only one legitimate fear for a Christian to have. The fear of God. If you understand what God is like and walk in the reality of what God is like, you do not need to be afraid of anything else. And a book that I've recommended before, and especially since yesterday was Veterans Day, it's perfectly appropriate. A book entitled A Table in the Presence. A Table in the Presence. And it's about the first, what is it? About 1,200 soldiers, what do you call that? A battalion? When we, our first, when we attacked Iraq, and our first This battalion was sent into Baghdad. They weren't expecting the opposition that they encountered. 1,200 Marines, they go in there. Now I've forgotten Army or Marines. (laughs) They went in there. They literally had AK-47s emptied right at them. To no effect. They had, I mean, the enemy was waiting for them. Rocket-propelled grenades fired straight at armored personnel carriers. And the the rocket-propelled grenades went and went across the street and killed the other bad guys. For hours, they were given directions. You're supposed to go into Baghdad. And at this corner, you're supposed to turn right, and that's going to take you to this palace of Saddam Hussein, and that's your destination. Well, the 
directions weren't exactly right. It was go to this intersection, that was correct, turn right, that was correct, but it should have been really, really hard right, not just a 90 degree turn. And so they're milling down around all over downtown Baghdad for hours. One person died. One person died, a gunnery sergeant who was everybody knew was ready to go. He was known as being a very loyal, vocal Christian. He was the only guy. And the man who showed up, the, the chaplain show who wrote the book, showed up the next day. He's the grandson of Johnny Cash. <laughs> and he, he was the chaplain. And he couldn't come in with them because he wasn't in a hardened vehicle. So he showed up the next day at the Saddam Hussein Palace because they finally did find it. And he walks into this into this big courtyard area and there's a black marine there who he had baptized about three months before because the guy had come to faith in Christ and this black marine turns to him and says chaplain we should all be dead and every marine standing there was nodding in agreement and then he walked into a back room and here's a back room big another big open area and there are a whole bunch of more Marines, and here's a, an AAV, and it's got this uh, platform down. It's got, and this one guy who's about 30 years old, he's sitting there on this, and he knows this guy. He joined the Marines to get away from drugs, get out of his drug life. And he's sitting there just staring vacantly into the sky, and... He walks, the chaplain walks up to him and touched him on the shoulder. And as soon as he touched him on the shoulder, the tears started pouring down. Why would God save me? Why would God save me? And every Marine turned and watched as he led that Marine into the kingdom. They all knew God had been their defender. They saw him do what they thought no one could do or would bother to do. And so Jesus said to the disciples, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? You can take an AK-47 emptied at you from point blank range, but if God says you're not going to die, you're not going to die. And they can fire an RPG at you and it'll go right over your head and kill their comrades on the other side of the street. It won't kill you because God says so. That's your God. So walk in the fear of him. Respect what he says. And you don't need to be afraid of anything or anyone else. Period. Over and out. How's that for a life experience? How's that? And so you can take your sicknesses, you can take your diseases, you can take every trouble, you can take what am I going to do with in my career, in my next step. What, what, you can take it to him, the good shepherd, and he will wield his rod to defend you and his shepherd's crook to extract you from the mess and walk you into the green pastures and the, by the still waters. He will do that. That's his reputation. And he says, pray to me according to my reputation. He's not afraid of that. You, if you walk in the fear of him, you don't need to be afraid of anything else. 
And we have the Lord's table here. What is this about? This is our commemoration of what Jesus did to make all of this possible. He qualified us for a welcome, unrestrained, positive welcome. We just prayed for the family of a man who just entered Jesus' presence, Dick McGowan. We know he's there. He made a powerful, clear testimony of having entrusted his, his destiny to Jesus Christ. And so we come to the Lord's table. This isn't wishful thinking. This is the commemoration of a reality that Jesus accomplished for us so that we can have a con confidence and a welcome with God. I'm going to ask Jim Rittman and Darren to help me to uh, carry this out and we're going to okay I'm going to ask first we're going to have Darren give thanks for the bread and then after it's all been handed out uh Hold on to it, and then when you, everyone's received it, then we will partake together. Darren, would you give thanks for the broken body of our Lord? Father God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And, uh, you came, Father, not, for, not to do good to those who were your friends, Lord, but you came to save your enemies. That's right. We were all dead in our sins and enemies of God. And anyone who has not received Christ still lives, but yet you loved us in such a way that while we were still sinners, Christ had died for us. We thank you that your visage was marred beyond yes. any man for our sake, and that by your stripes we're healed. So we thank you for your broken body, Lord Jesus, which you willingly took upon yourself for the judgment we deserve. Amen.
The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jim's going to say a word and then lead us in prayer. Lord put this on my heart to share this. This is an extension for this service. And it talks about the blood of Jesus and what it does. So when you take this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. These are the things that this blood has done for us. The blood of Jesus is our salvation an act of being born again, being saved to eternal damnation. It is the atonement. It is the redemption. The blood of Jesus is the justification. We have been acquitted of our guilt and sin. That's right. The blood of Jesus is our righteousness. We are put back into a right standing with God. The blood of Jesus is our sanctification. We are set apart unto God as salvation as well as each day after through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus reconciles and it has overcoming power. This overcoming power is that which we receive when we appropriate what has been delegated to us. <coughs> the blood of Jesus has delivered us. We are released from the power of darkness, mm -hmm. set at liberty from captivity. The blood of Jesus is forgiveness. It is the act of forgiving, having pardon. Amen. Heavenly Father, with these words, we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share this with one another, to bring into remembrance how precious and how powerful is thy blood. Mm -hmm. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.
the apostle continues. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's stand and just close with the chorus of Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And you don't have to run away, you can stay and hang out with each other. <laughs>